good morning. You may have a seat. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Pastor Jim has mentioned that this is an ordination service, and so we're very, very excited about that. The Gospel of John. We're going to look at a, a large chunk of scripture together this morning. We'll start in John chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on John the Baptist. We're talking about servanthood. But let's pray together before we go any further. Father, we, we are grateful for this Lord's Day, and we're very thankful for the opportunity that you have given us to gather. Lord, we thank you for the words that we have sung. God, we thank you for the words of life that were read from the scriptures. We are very grateful for that. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful that you have given us your word. And Father, we pray right now as we turn our attention to the scriptures, God, that you will help us to see the truth. We need your spirit's illumination. And so, Father, we humbly ask that you grant that to us. God, that you help us to see what we've never seen before and understand what we could never understand if you didn't open our minds to see it. And then, Lord, we pray we don't want to be just hearers or seeing truth. We want to embrace that truth and we want to apply that truth. So, God, we pray that you move in our hearts this morning to be receptive. And Father God, help us to be willing to be taught to pray the prayer of Mary. Lord, I'm just I'm sitting at your feet. I'm listening. And so, God, I pray that we'll be, we'll be like Mary and worship you at your feet, Father. And uh, God, I pray also if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and as their Savior, God, I pray that today will be the day of salvation for them. Father, we thank you that you will save your people. We're confident in that because you say that you will. And so, God, we pray that you do that even in this moment. Someone may be here listening in person or listening online. And so, God, we humbly ask for your help, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is a really special day for us, as I've mentioned, in the life of our church family. You know, there are, when you read the New Testament, there are uh, two offices that God has ordained that every local church uh, is to have and one of those would be pastors or elders and a pastor and an elder is a, it's a gift to the local body of Christ the healthy church has a has a pastor truthfully we should say that a healthy church has a plurality of pastors that's the biblical model and then also another office in the local church is the office of deacon that too that office a man a biblical man that can fulfill that role is a gift to the local church and we should be very thankful today that the Lord has raised up for us two brothers that are not only desiring to serve and willing to serve and want to serve, but we should equally be as grateful, if not more grateful, that they're biblically qualified to serve. Amen. You know, one of the things that we've strived for over the years is we've never wanted to put a warm body in any place of leadership just because we lacked someone. And that's important because when you put someone in a position of leadership, in a position of service that's not really biblically qualified, then if you think about it, 
we're truthfully going against the word of God. And then that will have a huge impact on the health of that local body of believers. And so Chetan and Robert, we are very grateful for you. And we are thankful for your willingness to serve. I think one last thing that I'll say about that, and then we'll jump into the scriptures, is, um, you know, here at Everglades, we don't use deacons, the office of a deacon. We don't see that as um, as a position of decision making. A lot of churches, sometimes they function as elders. Deacons aren't elders. They're servant leaders. They're men that have been called by God to serve the local body of Christ and meet the needs of the body. And we can look at Acts chapter 6 if we needed to to see that that's the case. And so, again, we're just super grateful for you, brothers. And so what I want to do is I want to talk this morning from the life of John the Baptist about what it means to serve Christ. Like what it really looks like to serve Christ. So look with me at John chapter 1. And we're going to do something a little bit different. Normally I read the text in its entirety, but we're going to read as we go today because it's a little bit larger chunk of scripture. So I want you to go to John chapter 1 with me and look at verse 6. And while you're finding your way to John 1 verse 6, here's the first key truth when it comes to serving Christ. To serve Christ faithfully, we must know our role in the kingdom. To serve Christ faithfully, we must know our role in the kingdom. To serve Christ faithfully, we must know our role in the kingdom. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, if I were to ask you, and we had time to interact with one another, which we don't right now, if I were to ask you, what was John the Baptist's calling? What was his role in the kingdom? Verses 6 through 8 tell us very clearly what his role was in the kingdom of God. God had uniquely called him. God had uniquely gifted him. Certainly, God had empowered him with the Holy Spirit to fulfill his role and to fulfill his calling and to fulfill his mission that he had for him, which when you look at the text, notice what it says. He was sent from God as a what? As a witness. That word sent literally means in the original language to be sent on a mission. So he was sent on a mission from God to help other people know who Jesus was. We could say it this way. John, his role was to bear witness that Jesus Christ is and was the Messiah. You have to remember the Jewish, the Jewish audience and the expectancy of the Jewish audience. They were waiting for a really long time since Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 for the one that would come to crush the serpent. And there was this expectancy of the Messiah that builds as you read the new, excuse me, as you read the Old Testament. Who is the Messiah going to be? Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? And when you come to John the Baptist, his role was to bear witness, to testify that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. That's what he says. In fact, in verse 8, 
it's really helpful when you look at verse 8 because John tells us that John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And we know this because we've learned this over the years. Anytime that something's repeated in the scriptures multiple times in a short uh, span of verses, it's, it's repeated for emphasis. It's to drive home a point. And the point that the gospel of John, the John the apostle, the beloved apostle is trying to make to his audience is that John's role in the kingdom was to point to King Jesus. That's what his role was. You say, well, well, why? Why is that so important? Look back at the text. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Now, here's the purpose of why he came. Notice what it says. That all might what? That all might believe. So John was called by God, equipped by God, empowered by God, sent by God to testify that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, one of the most important questions every person has to answer on the face of this planet in their life is who is Jesus? You have to come to grips with that. You have to answer that. And everybody answers that question in a different way. Some people say he was a good man. Some people say he was a good teacher. Some people say he was just a prophet. But John says, yes, he was good and righteous. Yes, he was the prophet that Deuteronomy 18 prophesied about, that there would be one that would come that would be greater than Moses. But he is more than those things only because he's also God. He is the Messiah. He is the one that the Jews were waiting for and looking for and longing for. And that's what John's role was. His role was to bear witness that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, here's the reality for us, though. We're called to make disciples that make disciples, correct? You know what one role that we have that's very similar to John the Baptist's? We, too, are called to do what? Bear witness about the light. Bear witness about the Messiah. Bear witness about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. So, Robert, Chedden, it's very clear when you look at the book of Acts, you can see Philip as a deacon bearing witness to the Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus being the Messiah. The first recorded convert that we know that went to the African continent with the gospel. It's amazing. So no matter your role, no matter your gifting, no matter your calling, because there's a, there's a variety of giftings, there's a variety of all of these things, which we talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 a couple of weeks ago. At the end of the day, there's a similar parallel for every person that names the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it's that we are all to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. So I want you to think about this. It's one thing to know your role, right? It's one thing to know your calling. It's one thing to know what God would have you to do, but it's another thing to do it. And it's not only another thing to do it, but it's another thing to do it consistently and with courage and with conviction. 
And it's another thing to do it when you're having to do that in the midst of adversity and struggle. So John knew very clearly what his role was, that he was to bear witness to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And then as his life unfolds, we see him do this in what we would say as maybe easy times. We also see him do this in times where his conviction and his courage and his calling are going to be tested. Notice the text with me. Go to John chapter 1 verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now listen to verse 24. These Jews and these priests, rather, and these Levites had been sent from who? Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Well, then they ask him again. Look at verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Pastor Jim mentioned it, Robert and Chetan, in your role and in your calling and in what God has for you, you're going to be tested. You're going to be under attack. It's going to happen. It probably already has happened. But John sets a great example for us that no matter what happened, he still pointed people to King Jesus. I want you to think about this. This is cultural pressure and political pressure to get John maybe to bow down to the religious authorities. They're trying to figure out, is he the Messiah? Who is he? What's he doing? What's going on? And John just simply says, it doesn't really matter who asks me. It doesn't really matter what kind of pressure I get. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know the calling that I've been given. I know the role that I've been given, and I'm going to play that calling. Look at what it says in verse 20. He confesses. It says it twice. He confessed. Homolegion. It's the same word in John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It literally means to say the same thing. So John is saying, I am saying the same thing about myself that God says about me, which is I was sent to bear witness about King Jesus being the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Verse 21, I'm not the one that was promised in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. I'm not Elijah. Excuse me, I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. I am, I am the forerunner. I'm not the prophet in Deuteronomy 18. She said, I'm not any of those things. Who are you? 
I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And look at what he says that his ministry is to be about. Making straight the way of the Lord. That making straight just simply means to make level. In other words, he was to stand before the people, proclaim the good news of the kingdom, point people to the Messiah, and help them remove all the stumbling blocks that were before them that would prevent them from coming to Christ and salvation. He was preparing their hearts for when Jesus would come on the scene and say, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what John's role was. That's what John's calling was. And he was faithful to that calling. He never flinches. He never compromises. He never takes credit either. We'll talk more about this in just a minute when we talk about humility. But I do want you to begin to think about this now. We could say in human terms that John had a very successful ministry. But it was never about John. <coughs> and it was never about his ministry. And it was never about the crowds. It was never about his influence. It was always about Jesus. <coughs> John said, basically, my life, my purpose, my role, my assignment is not to take glory for myself but to point to Christ. John also basically said this, because I know my gifting, because I know my calling, because I know my placement, because I know my role in the kingdom, I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not either. I'm just being who God's called me to be. I'm just being who God's made me to be. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the assignment that God has for me. He was faithful and his faithfulness flowed out of knowing his calling. So I wonder this morning, do you know what God's called you to do? This is bigger than just Robert and Chetan. This is for each individual Christ follower. Do you know what God's called you to do? I tell you one thing in love that he's called you to do. He's called you do, to do more than just come and sit. He's called you to serve. He's gifted you. He's given you his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. He's forgiven you. He's your king. Do you know your role in the kingdom? Do you know your gifting and your calling? There's no Christian that gets a free pass on that. And it doesn't matter your age either. The Bible's filled with examples of teenagers that serve the Lord faithfully. And even children, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible is when Naaman, remember the story of Naaman when he is baptized or dipped into the river Jordan and is cleansed from his leprosy? If you remember the story, do you remember who told Naaman that there was a God, there was a man that could help him? It was a little girl. It was a little girl. There's a little girl that said, there's someone that can help you. There's a God above that can help you. So it doesn't matter your age and it doesn't matter your gifting. But my point is, do you know your role? Do you know your gifting? Do you know your calling? If you don't, then I want to encourage you to figure that out. 
Because if we're going to be disciples that make disciples and serve the kingdom of God, everybody has a part to play. And everybody's part may be different. There was only one forerunner, John the Baptist. There hasn't been another. Right? There's only you. There won't be another. God has gifted you and called you and equipped you for such a time as this to take the gospel to a lost world. We were meeting yesterday morning with Providence Outfitters and organizing a few things. And we were talking about at some point in time just about the darkness of our culture. And then we just looked at each other and we said, Man, what a great opportunity we have. Have you ever thought about that? We have an unbelievable opportunity before us because the light shines brightest, not necessarily during the day, but the light shines brightest when? In the dark. The darker our culture gets, the brighter our light shines and we're striving to walk in our calling and our purpose and our gifting and fulfilling our placement in the kingdom. And every single one of us have that. So to serve Christ faithfully, you need to know your role. Don't wait until tomorrow to do what you can do today. Find out what the Lord has for you to do. In fact, look at verse 29. It's a different day, but John's the same person. The next day when Jesus, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself do not know, did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the son of God. <clears throat> So for John, it wasn't just one day. It wasn't just on Sunday. It wasn't just on a Monday or it wasn't just Sunday and Monday. It was Sunday through Saturday. Rinse and repeat. His life was a life that was marked by faithfulness and walking in what God had for him day by day by day. Every day that passed, he did the exact same thing, which was pointing to King Jesus. Secondly, to serve Christ faithfully, we must know the Messiah. We must know the Messiah. To serve Christ faithfully, we must know the Messiah. Now, I mentioned this earlier. The Old Testament saints were saved just like we are. Everyone has been saved that is saved. Everyone has been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the Messiah, Messiah's coming. They were placing their faith and trust in the Messiah that was to come. And so for John the Baptist, I want you to think about this. There's some unique things we don't have time to go into regarding John the Baptist, but I do want you to understand this. He had to be saved just like everybody else. Right? Is Romans 3 true? 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It didn't matter what his role was. It didn't matter what his gifting was. It didn't matter what his empowerment was. The reality is he still had to bow his heart to King Jesus. He still had to accept him as his Lord and Savior. He still had to know the Messiah personally for himself. Just like you do. And just like everyone else does as well. I want you to notice the text. Look back with me at verse 31. John 1, 31. Look at what he says. I myself did not know him. What does that mean? What that's getting at is the fact that even though John had been called by God to bear witness that the Messiah was coming, he did not necessarily know who the Messiah was. Did he know who Jesus was? Yeah, they were related. But did he know that Jesus was the Messiah? No, he did not. In fact, he tells you when it, the, the lights went off in his brain and when, he, when the dot connected in his heart. And it was when he was baptizing. And he tells the story basically in verses 32 and 33 of when Jesus came to him to be baptized. Do you remember that story? When Jesus comes to John and asks to be baptized and John's like, no, 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 I should be baptized by you. And John's like, no, you need to do this. You need to baptize me. And then after he baptizes Jesus, do you remember what happens next? The Father speaks from heaven. It's a, tr it's a passage that really clearly proves that our God is a triune God. Because the Spirit descends on Christ. God the Son is there and, the, and God the Father speaks from heaven. Very important. The Father is bearing witness about Jesus that he's the Son of God and that he's the Messiah. He's the one that was sent into the world. And John looks back on that moment and says in 31, I did not know who he was until I baptized him. And then I heard the voice from heaven bearing witness to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, here's my point. At that moment in time, John, no different than the Pharisees, no different than any other person, no different than you had to wrestle with. Do I believe that Jesus is the Messiah? He had been waiting. He had been longing just like every other Jew. And John baptizes Christ. The father bears witness. This is it. This is the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that we've all been waiting for. Jesus is the son of God. And John in his heart had to do the very thing that the Pharisees also knew and rejected, John believes. He's like, yep. Because the Father bore witness, Jesus is, I believe, the Messiah. That's super important. I want you to notice what else John knew about Christ because of all of this. Look back at verse 30. First of all, he says, this is he talking about Christ of whom I said, I'm bearing witness to the light that after me comes a man who ranks before me. You do understand that it had been several hundred years since a prophet had spoken to the people of Israel. You do understand that the Pharisees were nervous and scared and did not know what to do with John one reason why they sent Levites and priests because all the people held John in esteem. They were scared because of the people's opinion of John. They knew that he was a prophet. They knew that he was a good man. They knew that he was preaching the gospel. And it had been a long time since a prophet had been before the people of Israel doing what John was doing. 
you do understand that there was a lot of people that had been coming to hear John. You do understand that the entire region would have been in a, an uproar, a good uproar, a buzz, if you will, a murmur, if you will, talking, if you will, about who John was and what God was doing through John. This is what I'm trying to, to tell you. He, he knew his role. His role was to point to Christ. He knew who he was. I'm here to point to Jesus, not make this about me. Because look at what he says. What does he say about Jesus? Jesus does what? He ranks before me. You know what he's saying? He's saying the same thing the author of Hebrews said. Jesus is better. He's saying the same thing that the writer of Colossians said. Jesus is preeminent. He's number one. He is above all. You know what he's saying? He's saying what the writer of Philippians said, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And at his name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and those under the earth. Jesus is preeminent. That's what he's saying. Notice what else he says about the Messiah. Not only does he say he is the Messiah, he's saying that this Messiah is preeminent. He's even more ranking higher than me. Notice what he talks about next, because he was what? He was before me. Isn't that awesome? He's proclaiming the eternality of Christ. He is proclaiming the divinity of Christ, that Christ was in the flesh. God in the flesh with skin on so we could see him and not be consumed. That he could walk among us and minister to us as humans. But he was more than a man. He is the God-man. Truly God, truly man. Preeminent above all and eternal before all. Not only that, drop down to or excuse me, bump back up to verse 29. When he saw Jesus, what did he call him? The Lamb of God that what? Takes away the sin of the world. He recognizes him as eternal. He recognizes him as preeminent. And he recognizes him as Savior. That this is the one that was promised that would come and crush the serpent. This is the one that was promised in Isaiah 53. That would shed his life's blood for the, for the people of God. This is the one that we've been waiting for. He is our savior. And he says the same thing again in verse 36. I wonder this morning, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Let's not forget what I told you that Jesus, that Jesus and John were related. So he actually knew who Jesus was. There's a lot of people that know facts about Christ. There's a lot of people that know information about Christ. But has the dot connected in your mind that there's more to Jesus than meets the eye? That in fact, he's the Messiah. That in fact, he's the promised one. That in fact, if you cry out to him in repentance and faith, he'll save you today. The Bible is very clear in Romans that when you come to God on his terms, 
and you turn from your sin and you trust Christ alone, he will save you. He doesn't turn anybody away. That's good news, amen? That's really good news. There's hope for people like us. There's a living hope for people like us. I don't have to die in my sin. I don't have to be living forever under the power of my sin. I can trust Christ and be set free from the penalty and power of sin. Today, now, what are you waiting for? Your role in the kingdom is linked to the king of the kingdom. And it's clearly linked, your role in the kingdom and the, your relationship to the king of the kingdom is clearly linked to what you believe about Jesus. No one gets a free pass. Remember what Pastor Eric read? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You'll either do it here on this side of heaven or you'll do it before King Jesus. Either way. Number three. To serve Christ faithfully, we must be clothed in humility. So we need to know our role. We need to know the Messiah. And we need to walk in humility. I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says something interesting about John the Baptist. John chapter 11 verse 11. I want you to see it. I want you to feel the weight of what Christ says about John. You could read the book of Revelation in those first couple of chapters and see very clearly that Jesus has a lot to say about his people. He has a lot to say about those churches. He has a lot to say about you. He has a lot to say about me. And that's enough to put the fear of God in us, isn't it? That's enough to know that Jesus has a, an opinion, a right judgment of who we are and whose we are and, and all of those things. And this is what he says about John. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a powerful statement. May that be said about us, that we would walk in humility, that people would recognize the humility that we we possess. Go back to the Gospel of John with me for a few moments. I want you to think about this. There's a lot that we could say, but I want to focus in on the fact, I've already alluded to this. You can go to Mark chapter 1, verse 5. Pastor Eric has preached on this eloquently earlier in his study of the Gospel of Mark. But if you went to chapter 1, verse 5, you would see... For the Bible tells us that all the region of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to John to be baptized by them by him. So just a pile of folks. There's a lot of people that were going out to John. And I want to submit to you this morning that one of the greatest ways that we see the humility of John displayed. We can talk about his martyr's death, right? We can talk about that. King Herod beheaded him for truth. And that's a great display of humility. We can talk about John the Baptist preaching. We can talk a lot about the fact that he was willing to stand up before people and say, thus saith the Lord, and let all the consequences fall between the people and the Lord. That takes humility to be able to do that and not say what you want to say, but to say what God says. But I don't have time to do that. Instead, I want to focus in on the humility that John displays 
that Jesus comments on what we just read in regards to the crowds. We live in a day where we just love numbers, don't we? Think about this. Somebody asks you, how is church today? And typically our response is something like this. It was good. There were a lot of people there. Why do we do that? Why do we try to figure out what's, how good a service is based on the numbers that were there? Is not everybody an image bearer, Jonathan? We talked about that yesterday. Does not everybody deserve to hear the gospel? Does not everybody deserve to hear the Bible preached? Whether it's one, whether it's five, or whether it's a thousand, why is it that we estimate the, the work of God by the amount of people that's in a place? I've told you this a trillion times. You could have a pile of people and church could be deader than a doornail. The number of people that are there is not the litmus test on whether or not something is healthy or alive. So we have to be careful. And so one of the things that happens here, and I think it's really helpful for us in the scriptures, is this. This is amazing. This is good for our hearts. John's ministry in numerical size actually decreases. It doesn't increase. I guess in modern vernacular, Pastor Eric, we could say he preached down a crowd. What was his role? Point to Jesus. What was his role? Preach the kingdom of God. What was the role? Preach the gospel. Point to Christ. Point to Christ. Point to Christ. Point to Christ. And while he was doing that, so many people came. Then the Messiah comes on the scene and so many people stop following John and start following who? This is why Paul told the Corinthians, I preach the word of God to you so that your faith does not rest on men, but rests on God. Why is it for crying out loud when a preacher leaves, the church attendance stops? Perhaps. Perhaps. In many cases, not all. It's because the people are following a preacher, not God. I'm of the conviction that I lead like I'm going to be here forever till the Lord calls me home and maybe I die in this pulpit. Or I lead like I'll be gone tomorrow. Because it's not about me, but it's about positioning the church to be healthy so that it continues on long after I'm gone. Heaven forbid I'm not here or Eric's not here or Jim's not here. And some of you say, well, they're not here, so let's just stop and let's go somewhere else. No, God's placed you here. He's gifted you here. He's equipped you here. He's called you here. He's given you a role here no matter what it is. And John's role was to not increase numerically, but decrease numerically. There's nothing like a lead. There's nothing more challenging for a leader than to watch people leave your ministry to go somewhere else. That'll put you in check. Put your heart in check. Am I willing to keep serving and keep pointing people to Jesus? Even if I'm like John the Baptist and it decreases. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look back at John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus 
as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. Oh my, look at the verse. And they what? Which means they left who? They left John. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Isn't that interesting? If you know anything about Andrew, Andrew was known for bringing people to Jesus. In fact, it doesn't take long. Who does he bring to Jesus? Look at the text. Andrew was whose brother? Yeah, look what he does. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. Who pointed him to that? John. Are you okay to be the kind of person that just points people away from yourself and point people to Jesus? Are you okay with that? You should be. You need to be. You ought to be. I need to be. I ought to be. I should be. But can we be honest? We struggle. We struggle. We like, honestly, sometimes we struggle with pride. And that's a hard thing for us to do. We want to increase. But often we're not willing to decrease. Look at verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ who brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. We know how the story unfolds for Andrew and Peter. Go to chapter 3. Keep in mind what I told you about Mark chapter 1, verse 5. And all the people that were coming to John... Look at verse 22, John 3, 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. What's the scene? What's happening in the story? What's happening in the story is John and Jesus are in the exact same place baptizing people. That's the setting, verse 25. Then a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Verse 26, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing. What, what do they see? They're like, wait a minute. John, you're baptizing. Look over there, Jesus is baptizing. Now keep going. And what? All are what? Everybody's going to him. Are you the kind of disciple maker that makes disciples that's willing to point people to Jesus so that Jesus increases and you decrease and so that the kingdom of God grows and it's not about you? John's modeling that for us right now. John answered, Oh, Mr. Diefenbach, this is good theology right here. A person cannot receive one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. What does John recognize? This is a sovereign work of a sovereign God. The plan of salvation is unfolding. 
and all of it's going according to plan. The exact way that God's decreed it, the exact way that God ordained it, he would raise up a man named John to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And, when, and then there would be people that would come and listen to John. And then John would point people to Jesus. And his ministry would decrease. And Christ's ministry would increase. That's what's happening in this text. Verse 28. Yourselves bear witness. In other words, I've been telling you this all along. I'm not the Christ. I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. The kingdom of God advances. Though John's ministry is decreasing, he's happy and rejoicing because Jesus's ministry is increasing. This is an amen, oh me, oh me moment. You ready? Maybe. Why is it so hard to be happy for other churches when they do well? Are we not all part of the same kingdom? There are more churches, more pure and more less pure churches. But if someone's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, they're our family. And regardless of the fact that there may be minor differences, we should be grateful when the kingdom of God advances. But why is it so hard for us? John models for this for us. This brother, Eric, was just sold out, man. He just had one thing on his mind. That was King Jesus and the kingdom and nothing else mattered for him. Here's the secret. Because of the humility, look at what it says. He must increase, but I must decrease. Miss Kim, when you look at this grammatically, it expresses continual action. It could be read this way. I'm paraphrasing. I live in such a way that Jesus is continually increasing. And I live in such a way that I am continually decreasing. Isn't that cool? What would it look like to be a church where we say, man, Jesus is increasing and we're decreasing? What would it look like in your family to say that Jesus is increasing and you're decreasing? What would it look like in whatever ministry God has given you to say that Jesus is increasing and I'm decreasing? I'm walking in humility. I'm walking in love. Again, Jonathan, we talked about this yesterday morning. There's a world that's starving to hear the gospel that needs to see this in action. You talked about this yesterday. That's my challenge to you this morning, Robert and Chetan. Know your role. Know the Messiah. And walk in humility. And for the rest of us, that's our assignment as well. To know our role. To know the Messiah. To make the Messiah known. And to walk in humility. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this day. I know that it's hot, Father, and I thank you for the patience of our church family, Lord. But we thank you, God, that you've given us a place to hear the gospel preached. God, I pray for Robert, and I pray for Chetan, and what you have for them, Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing for us. And I pray, God, this morning for the church, all of us. God, I pray. Lord, I pray that you bless us with yourself. 
that you help us understand our gifting and our calling and our placement, what you would have us to do, and that we never forget the Messiah. And then, Lord, that we walk in humility and love. That's my prayer for us all. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to pray over Robert and Chetan now. So I'm going to invite you brothers to come back up. And then I also want to invite any other brother that may want to come and pray over them to come on up. So Robert and Chetan, if you'll come forward. Any other brother that may want to be willing to come forward and to pray. We'll lay hands on them and pray. You know, there's nothing really special about ordination in the sense that all we're really doing, you guys will come back here. All we're really doing is recognizing what God's already said, which is God has qualified them and we're recognizing in their service that they are ready to serve. So let's come in close. Chetan Robert, if you'll come over here. We'll have a prayer time. Uh, Israel is going to start us. And then I believe, are you closing this gym or is it Eric? Okay. And then if any of you brothers want to pray in between Israel opening and gym closing, you can feel free to do so. Father, we come before you because we love you. We thank you. We thank you so much for Robert and Chet, Lord God. And thank you so much for their friendship. Lord, I'm thankful for their heart of service, Lord God. Thankful, Lord God. <clears throat> thankful for their willingness to serve uh, this church, Lord God, for the glory of your name. Father, I ask that you would have your way, Father. Give them strength and power to persevere and to press on. Lord God, even when it's hard and difficult, and Lord God, when uh, the enemy is uh, attacking, Lord God, I'm so thankful that you are greater than our hearts, Lord God. And so I pray that you'd have your way. Would you, would you help them to guard their hearts, Lord God, and keep them centered and focused on Christ so they can serve this body of believers well, Lord God. Lord, I thank you so much for just uh, the message that we heard, Lord God. Thankful for all that you do. Thankful for the role that you've granted these two men. Thank you that it is only in submission to Christ and humble um, submission to Christ. I ask that you would have your way. Would you encourage my brothers? And Father, would you, uh, would you 
Just give them strength. In Jesus' name. Father, I agree. Thank you. God, for Robert and for Chet and God, we know that this is a work that you have done. That you've called them for such a time as this. Called them to serve. And Father, they've answered that call. And now we pray that through your spirit and through your word that you would continue to empower them and to equip them that they would have the heart and the mind and the attitude of Christ, that they would consider the needs of others greater than their own, and that they would honor and glorify you by serving their church family well. They would see it as a joy and as a blessing. God, strengthen them, encourage them, bless them, Lord. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Christ. Father God, I just echo my brothers, Lord. Thank you, Father, for salvation, God. Thank you, Father, that you saw it fit to save us, God. It's by your grace and by your mercy, Lord, we're able to serve, God. But I thank you for Chet. And I thank you for his heart, for your word, Lord. Pray that you would continue to grow him, Father, and that you would help him, Father to walk in humility and to serve you, Lord, with all his heart. He would honor you in that, Lord. And God, I pray for Mr. Robert, Lord. I thank you for him and his heart, Father, to teach, Father, and to, Lord, he, he's, just, he's just a, a, a loving man, Lord, and I love being around him, Father, and hearing him speak, Lord, and to sharing his testimony, Lord, and how you've worked in his life, God. I pray, God, we would continue to use him, Lord. Thank you for this calling, Lord. Father, I pray that you help my brothers, Lord, in a time where they feel weak, Lord, that they would look upon you, Lord, that you would strengthen them, Lord. Thank you, God, that we could pray. Thank you that you have an open ear to your saints, Lord. But I thank you for Everglades, Everglades Baptist, Lord, and I pray that you would just enrich this church, Lord. Thank you for all that you do. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for just uh, your sovereign team. Thank you for uh, Robert and Chet, Lord, and, and blessing them, Lord. And I pray that you just continue to do so, Lord. And I thank you for them and their heart to desire to honor you and, and praise you and, and, uh, and share. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would... Uh, move mightily in them. I pray that you would move your glory, honor, and praise, Lord. And uh, we just praise you for that. We give you all glory. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, again, we thank you for the work you've been evident that you've done here at Everglades that you provided a lineage that we can see in your family that you have meeting here. Father, a few years ago, you called Israel to be our deacon. He served faithfully. Now he's passing the torch, as it were, to Robert and Chetan. 
We see that you've called these two men and you put it on their hearts to serve. And Father, we thank you. And we bless you for that. And Father, we ask that you would uh, be with these two men, Chet and Mobley and Robert Bradley, as they serve. Father, just help them in the days to come and all that they do. Father, help us as your people not to look on them as our servants, but that we serve alongside of them. And Father, we thank you for that and help us to be a blessing to them as they are a blessing to us. And Father, help us to always be mindful that we are not to just look at each other or we look outside of each other our neighbors and our loved ones and across this planet that you've given us and you've charged us to reach it for your for your glory and your honor Father, help us always to be mindful of that every day and Father we just thank you for all that you do in Jesus name Amen Alright thank you brothers you may have a seat I want to invite everyone uh, stand to your feet as we worship the Lord uh, through our closing song.